They do that to me every week. You ever know? It's part of the fun of Wednesday night. Hey, Doug, can you just put that to where I can control that for a minute? Just at the, um, the, the announcement slides? Yeah, right there. Which one's that? Dude, there's no markings on these that I can see with my eyes. What? Which one? Which one? Show me. Don't just walk away. It says the pause play. Dude, you don't. There's something on that? Yes. You can't. You got to do it. It's like pause and play and then it. I'm telling you, Wednesday night is bad for me, you guys. I spend all day on the computer and I'm like, I'm serious. It's bad. I don't know how you guys do that every day. Some of you have to do that every day. I wouldn't be able to see. All right, I'm assuming we're going to go ahead and start since I got the sound. Um, Yeah, that's fine. All right, so we got a few um, on the prayer list we wanted to kind of accent tonight. The first one is Mitzi. She's back on cancer treatment, still trouble breathing, and she's going back to Moffitt soon. Um, Bill Larner, they have a small tumor on, on his bladder. We'll have a biopsy and out, outpatient surgery. Sandy Tagto had successful, what, carotid surgery. Yeah, we were all definitely praying about that. I was, it's just, a, that's scary. Um, so it's good. Katrina Noble said sur- her surgery went well and there's no cancer. That's amazing. And Shad is um, back home from the hospital. I got to get to see him as well. And then this Sunday, we're going to have guest speakers. In the AM, you'll have John Fisher. And in the PM, you'll have Nick Idings. Didn't pause. Pause. And please remember to silence your cell phones. It didn't pause. It's not pause. I have no control. <laughs> Nothing new here. Oh, I just went off of it all. James. James, so... The reason why we haven't done James yet is because actually when I, when I first started teaching on Wednesday night, that was one of the first things I did. So it's probably going to be a little while still till we go back to James. Okay? But we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> is there any other um, prayer requests other than what's already been discussed? Anything else we need to be praying for? So just, um, I, went to, I, was, I went to go change the sign today, and um, what I, honestly what I want to do, not, not because I can't change the sign or I don't want to change the sign, but what I'd like to do is leave God Bless 2024 up for the month of January, 
And when we see that as we're coming in, as we're coming out, I'd like for us to be praying for our church for this year. I think it's a very important year. Um, and I think we can use that sign for at least this month as a reminder to be praying for our church and, and the growth that we're seeing and also the um, just making the right moves going forward and um, so we can continue on the momentum that we have. All right, let's go ahead and pray and we'll get started with class. Father God, we come before you, Lord. We're grateful for this time to just be together and just study your word. Lord, your word is so challenging and um, also so relevant in every aspect, God. It's truly amazing. So we pray as we study your word, as we look at Jude, letter from Jude tonight, Father, that you open our eyes to, to see the warning um, that is in there, to see it clearly. Father, I, I pray that um, we also see the relevance of this scripture and, and the time that it pertains to, which I truly believe is our time. So, Father, just um, be with us as we study Jude. Father, we want to continue to pray for Mitzi, for Bill Larner, for Katrina Nobles, for Sandy Tagto, for Shad, for Lex. Oh, there's so many on our prayer list, so many in, on all of our minds, God. Um, even the ones that we haven't been naming recently um, in our prayers as things seem to be progressing in the right direction. Lord, let us not um, forget those as well in our prayers. And we, we just give all these names and all the names that are not named tonight to you. Put in your more than capable hands. Father, for healing, for comfort. Father, just uh, bless our church in 2024, Lord. We pray that with every year that we can grow um, spiritually and physically. As we grow spiritually, I believe you will, you will honor that and, and give us the growth physically, Father. So I pray that we each have our own inner fire um, to grow in you this year, to be more like you this year, to use our strength and our faith to make a difference for you this year and for the kingdom. Father, we are, uh, again, so grateful to be called your children, so grateful to, to receive your grace and mercy. Father, I pray that we never take that for granted and we keep working every single day to be more like you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So we're in the book of Jude tonight. Part of that's because, um, well, really what we've been studying before. Um, and I want you to see some of the connections that Jude might have to um, the relevance of the world that you live in today. Um, 
And really, it's this idea that you see on the title slide right under the word Jude. It's something that he's going to say. He's going to use this word twice, contending. Um, contending for the faith. Fighting for the faith. Having angst for the faith, if you want to get to the root word in the Greek. To have this angst to share it, to defend it, to spread it. Um, I think it's really important in the time that we live in, um, as we're challenged on, in my opinion, all sides um, with the truth, with the truth that's in God's word. So let's go ahead and start and um, we'll just see where it takes us tonight. How about that? All right. Jude is only one chapter. I did not forget the chapters. It's only, it's, it's one chapter. Okay. So each of those on the, on the top are just the verses that we're in at the time. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James to those who are called, belo- called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. So the first thing I want you to see is that he says he is a servant, doulos, of Jesus Christ. Does anybody know Jude's real name? Yes, it's Judas. Why would he want to be called Jude? Yeah, I think there is a song about that. Yeah. So he wants to first, I want you to see, he's making distinctions right from the beginning. And I want you to see that because I think that's important as we look at Um, This letter that he's writing, there's lots of little things that he's giving you in everything and you can just read it and overlook it real easily. But the first thing he's making is a distinction between him and the other Judas. All right. And when you look in Mark and there's the list of his names, you will see Judas and James and Simon. And I should have put the scripture up there. And one more. Go ahead, Doug. I pulled up the Greek and it actually says Judas. Yes, that's right. I-O-U-D-A-S. Yeah. So that's the first distinction I want you to see. The second distinction is if Judas, Jude, is the brother of James, what does that make Jude? Yeah, he's the brother of Jesus. The James is a half brother as well if we're talking about Joseph and Mary and God and Mary, right? So he's of the same Situation is James. But he calls James and Jesus two different things, right? He could have said he was the brother of Jesus, couldn't he? Brother of Jesus, brother of James. I'm in the family. But he wants to show a distinction right away between his brother James, who, by the way, is an extremely influential person in the New Testament church. Extremely influential. Many world leaders came to meet with James because he was the brother of Jesus. They wanted to know about him. So he's an extremely influential person. But Jesus is something different to him. Because Jesus is not just his brother. Jesus is his Lord. And you see that distinction right at the beginning. He's not, he's he's thinking about every single word he puts down. This is, Jude is not a man of many words. He's a man of choice words. Okay? He's a man that, chooses what he says very carefully and he covers a lot in a little bit of time. He's the opposite of me, right? 
<laughs> I mean, I just took a few words and made it into paragraphs, right? So, um, but I want you to see the second part too. Because now there's a three, there's like a three part right after that. He says to those who are called, if you do not think you have a calling, I want you to see that Judah's telling you we're all called. Those of us who are in Christ Jesus have all been called. We all have a calling. And if you ever question that, just think about the fact that God has granted you gifts and talents. You are gifted. You are talented in ways that God gave to you. And part of that is to use those gifts and those talents to this calling. Then you're beloved. What, what does the word mean for beloved? The other, the other translation would be sanctified. You're sanctified. You're sanctified. You're set apart. It's, it goes with that word of holy. But what? let's think about it from the, the, the ESV text with the idea of beloved. What does that mean? If you are beloved, you are loved. Everybody's like, come on, this is... How much? A whole bunch. How about surrounded? How about saturated? Going back to the conversation we had last week, right? How about just completely covered? There's not a spot on you that's not covered in the love of God. That, to me, is what I want you to see in this idea of being beloved. You've been loved your entire life. By God, your entire existence, even before you existed, before you in your mother's womb, God loved you. All right. And I want you to also see, because he's going to bring in all three parts of God and he's going to make distinctions about the three parts in little ways. All right. Um, kept for Jesus Christ. Why, why is kept important? Why is kept important? How's that one of three things? You're called, you're beloved, you're surrounded in his love, you're sanctified, you're set apart, and then you're kept. Kept for what? Kept for eternity. Kept through the promises of God despite who we are. Despite who we... Not who we are, but who we can be sometimes. How about that? Is that better? So you're kept in Jesus Christ. You know why? Because God is faithful to his word. And so God is a God that keeps. He's not a God that really enjoys getting rid of. He's a God of, that keeps. And if you ever question that, Think about exactly what Jesus said. Think about exactly what the gospel stands for. Think about all the times that we've went through recently of the prophets and begging the people to return, to return, to return. He's a God that keeps. If you think about Sunday morning and my little last illustration with the um, different colors, and I told you just keep mixing it up, keep mixing it up, keep mixing it up, keep stirring up your faith, keep doing those things that are righteous, keep being holy. And God will keep you. He's not looking to throw you away. 
And just as the promises, just as the old law could not save, we were all kept to that time where Jesus came and he died on the cross. All right, let's move on. May mercy, peace, love be multiplied in you. These are things that need to be growing in you. Mercy, peace, love, they need to be growing in you, not, not in small amounts. They need to be multiplying in you. They need to be taking over you. They need to be becoming who you are. All right, this is part of what you're called to be. All right, now let's get into the fun stuff. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, this is what I, he wanted to write to you about the gospel, I found it necessary to write appealing to you, write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So why is he writing? What's this all about? Standing up for your faith. Contending for your faith. Being on the lookout for the things that are going to lead you away from your faith. Being on the lookout for the ways that the world is going to lie and deceive. And not just simply sitting back and being silent and letting the world have its way with us. We have to contend for it. This is something we are called to do as Christians. What do you think about that? What do you think about that? That goes against worldly wisdom, doesn't it? I mean, we just got back from the holidays. Most of us went and saw friends and family and there's the unwritten rule that you never discuss what? Religion and politics. That You never discuss those things. It goes against worldly wisdom. Why? You don't want to cause problems. You don't want to cause controversy. You don't want to cause division. But we're supposed to contend for the faith. What do you think? What do you think? Because you don't want to put people off, but you have to stand up for what you believe in. I mean, it's, I have a situation at work where we're being encouraged to join the union, and my union does not support things that I morally can back up and so I have to stand up for that and say when people come to me and say you know, we need you to join the union if we don't have enough people they're going to get rid of it and all this but I can't I can't put my money towards something that goes completely against what I believe yeah so and it's difficult it's always difficult that's that that's that word if you really look it up it, it, like I said, the root of it comes to the idea of angst. It's going to create an unnerving, an unsettling. Um, but these are things that we're called to do. All right. Well, why? Why is it important to contend for the faith? Why is Jude warning that you're going to have to contend for your faith? He wanted to write you a nice little gospel message and tie all that together about all the things, all the good things that we have in common, but instead he's 
taking a turn. He's going to write about some other things. Let's see this. Verse 4. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Who are those people? Generally, who are those people? How about that? <laughs> was uh, false teachers such as the Gnostics. Yeah, false teachers in general, yeah. So there are going to be people who come into the church and are already in the church that are false teachers. So we have to contend for the faith. Sometimes the world is going to say, hey, this is how it is, and this is what everybody needs to accept, and this is how you should be, and if you don't, then you're this name and that name, and that's a reality, and we see that playing out almost every single day right now in our culture. We see it. We see it. There are things in Scripture that 20 years ago you could have put me on YouTube for, and I would preach it boldly and not have a second thought about it. Now... We live in a time where I have to sit here and think about what I'm going to say and try to say it correct enough that we don't get in trouble or that trouble doesn't come and find us. Isn't that a crazy time to live in? That happens to me. Maybe not you because you're not on the TV saying what I have to say. But it certainly happens to me. But I have to contend. I have to be bold. I have to be straightforward. I have to preach the truth and what I see, whether I'm right or wrong. I have to do my best to help us all see. That's what I was called to do. At least that's where I'm at right now. Go ahead, Paul. In Luke 18, Jesus tells a story about a widow who's seeking justice. Mm -hmm. And she keeps going and going and going, and the judge doesn't want to pay any attention to her. He doesn't care, but she doesn't give up. She keeps going. In verse 8, at the end of that, Jesus says, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Yeah. Yeah. Are you going to contend with for it like she did for what she was after? Yeah. I agree. It's such an important thing for all of us to understand. And here's the deal. It doesn't matter if you're at the beginning of your life, the middle of your life, the end of your life. It doesn't matter where you're at in this. This is part of who we are. You know why? Because you'll fight for what you love. You will fight to protect what you love especially. You will fight for what you believe in. And if that reward, if that, um, that promise is big enough to you in your life, you won't let anything get in between that and you. You won't. And that is the language of Jude. It's not um, the easiest read, even though it's short. And like I said, there's a lot of little things that are going to come out in this. So I want you to see right now, based on if you were here, um, if you've been coming and listening to Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, God bless you um, for having to deal with me all the time. But there is a picture that, and I... I want to be real careful how I say this. One, I don't want to take full credit for it because I'm in different places at a different time, right? Like 
zooming in, I'm in a different place here and this is why I'm doing this and I'm in a different place here and this is why I'm doing this. And I'm at, all right? When it comes to the teaching and the, and, the, and the study. But if you zoom out and you can think about, which I probably have better recollection than you of what I've said, <laughs> um, but if you can zoom out and think about all the scriptures that have been being put before us through the studies, through where I'm trying to do my best every single time, to speak to you with what I think I put on my heart. Right? Then you're starting to see what the scriptures are painting about this time, our time, right now. Now, I want you to see that one, it was long ago. All this started long ago, which he's about to give us a nice history lesson and we're going to have to move a little faster because I've been preaching more than doing class right now. But, I want you to see one long ago, long ago, all right? I don't want you to think of this as a person. I don't want you to think of this as a country. I don't want you to think, I want you to see this as a culture. Long ago, this culture started, all right? And that culture that's not godly, that does not belong in the church, is starting to, right now, Judah's saying, at his time, present time, starting to creep into the church. All right. And it's ungodly. So it's going to go against God's law. It's going to go against the word of God. That's what's going to go against. It's ungodly. All right. And one, they're going to also deny that Jesus is the Lord. It's going to deny that Jesus is the Lord. Go ahead, Doug. And it's not, you said this happened a long time ago, and it's not recently become ungodly. Since a long time ago, it's been ungodly. It's pointed to a condemnation. Right. It's, it's always it's been. Yeah, it's something. Yeah. They don't want to act like it's new. It's, it's not new. new. In fact, nothing that we're dealing with right now, and I think I've um, really tried to be, um, impress that upon you guys over the last year, especially, is nothing that we're dealing with right now is even close to new. You can, you can trace all this stuff back to Roman time, you know, and you can go through Daniel and start looking at You can trace all that back. It's all happening through all that too. But remember, we're not talking about a nation. We're not talking about a king, just like, like we were in the prophecies. We're talking about a culture. Because it's more than just one person. It's more than just one nation. It's a culture that is a worldly culture. Okay? All right. Verse 5. This is where he starts really breaking it down piece by piece. Now, I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, so they're being deceived, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Who did he destroy? Non-believers. Which ones? Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, you, Sodom and Gomorrah, you're jumping ahead because he's going to bring that one out. The Israelites, that's right. The Israelites. When did he destroy them? Syria, Babylon, right? Okay. So he destroyed them. Who else did he destroy? During the same time period, who else did he destroy? Egyptians. Yeah, the Egyptians that chased them to the Red Sea. He destroyed them as well. Now they saw the miracles. They saw the, the, the plagues. They saw with their own eyes and experienced in their own lives and they still, now remember this is before internet, this is before phone, they still, the Pharaoh still had a large group 
maybe not all of his army, but a large group of his army that followed him right into that Red Sea. All right? So it's people, I want you to see this because I think it's important because I don't think God in these situations, he's not showing distinction based on who you are. He's showing distinction based on how you live. The faith that you're walking in. All right? Because people got destroyed on both sides of that equation. In fact, those people that crossed that Red Sea never even made it into the promised land. All right, verse 6. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal change under, under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Who's that? Those who fell. Those who were led away by Satan. All right. So today we would call them demons, right? Maybe. All right. What'd they do? How? Says they didn't stay within their position of authority. Yeah, they left their proper dwelling. In other words, God said, this is who you are. This is what you're supposed to do. This is your calling. And they left their calling given to them by God and followed Satan into a rebellion. And when they came to earth, they noticed something specifically about us, didn't they? It wasn't about me. It wasn't about half of us. But they noticed something specifically about the ladies of the earth. They said, whoa. I think I really like the way this creation looks. At least this part of it. Man, I... And they have relations. That's what they did. So when they leave their proper dwelling, when they go against God's word, when they do these things that have not been given them authority by God, They've been put in chains. What does that mean? Ah, see, this is where we can get to a lot of different belief systems, right? Some people believe that the worst of the worst of the demons were put down into the abyss that you read about in Revelation, right? And that they will be released in the last days, according to Revelation. Some people believe that demons have all been put in subject under God and they are chained with no power at all in the world we live in now until we get to that time in Revelation where they're released again. What do you believe? Well, nobody wants to say this one, right? I will tell you this. Something interesting. If you go and you look where um, Jesus is, I think he's just got across the Sea of Galilee. He gets off the boat and there's that demon-possessed man. And you'll remember him because when Jesus asks who he is, he says, we are legion for we are many. And they know. He knows, they know. Maybe it's many, maybe it's one. 
I wouldn't trust necessarily the word of a demon. But he knows he's in trouble. They all do when Jesus is coming their way. They all know who he is. We discussed that not long ago as well. And Legion says to Jesus, don't send us to the abyss. Look it up. So some people, like I said, believe that there's this abyss that's holding some of them, not all of them. And even those demons don't want to go to that place because the worst are in there and they don't want to be around them either. Some people believe this is every demon. I don't have the answer to that. I wish I did. I don't. I think your guess is as good as mine on that. So we'll move on. Then, the, then there's this other example. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulge in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. I told you that this is not the easiest read, but look at all the little things. And what you're going to see is what I've been saying, which is the biggest sin of mankind that you see not only in mankind, but even in the spiritual beings that left their dwelling place, that rebelled against God's authority. The specific sin that they come to is sexual immorality. And when you're talking about Sodom and Gomorrah specifically, and he says unnatural desire, what's unnatural desire? Well, I think we're born with a natural desire that God gave us. That goes along with part of why he created us to be fruitful and multiply. The unnatural desire is what you see in Sodom and Gomorrah. When Lot puts out his daughters and the men outside waiting Say, we don't want your daughters. Give us those men. Unnatural desire. And then it says they serve as an example of eternal, eternal fire. Heavenly fire. Heavenly fire. All right. So let's go back real quick. And you got from Egypt, you've got God's people, but not just God's people, the Egyptians. As your first example of those who saw didn't believe, and because of that, they were destroyed, even though he had already saved them, specifically the Israelites. Then you've got the angels who left their place of authority, and their dwelling place, and then you also have Sodom and Gomorrah and the unnatural desires. All right, here we go. Verse 8. Or does anybody want to say anything before we move on? Yeah, I didn't expect it. Oh, he does want to say something. Alec, the Greek, it points towards fornication, but it also says that's a metaphor for idolatry. So they mix together, you know. And you see that... Unnatural desire? No, it's fornication and idolatry is what, the, is what it's a metaphor for. But you look at like angels, they grew up with God, grew up with Jesus, basically. I mean, in the same house, but then they pulled away. So yeah. this is... That's why... It's so big. Yeah, because it's a culture where you know it and you're walking away from it anyway. It's a culture where you've experienced it and yet you're still abandoning it. Abandoning it. Okay, so look here, verse 8. Yet in like manner, these people also relying on their dreams 
defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was, dis was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. So he didn't presume to announce a blasphemous Because whose judgment is it for Satan? Is it Michael's? Is it Michael's to say? Is there anybody in all of creation more worth condemning than Satan? But is that what Michael does? He's trying to get in the way. I want you to see this. Is it a fight? And, I, and I've thought about this a lot because there's a lot of writers who will say this is a fight. Michael the archangel has a fight with the devil. Well, look at the way Jude writes it to begin with. Is Michael capitalized? Michael's big M. What about the devil? He's little d. He's got no power over Michael, no more than the, no more than the angel, I mean, no more than the demons had any power over Jesus. He's contending. Satan is trying to get in the way of the will of God. He's trying to steal Moses' body. Does Satan know where it's at? If anybody in the conversation knows where it's at, who does? Maybe Michael, because he's connected to God and he's an archangel. But Satan doesn't, because God's the one that hid Moses' body when he died. God's the one that buried it. God's the one that put it away. But he's trying to get in the way of the will of God. And he's probably trying to twist scriptures, because that's typically what he does. But I also want you to see this, because I don't know if... Um, I don't know if you've been paying attention to the world a lot, but this is one of the things that I see as I flip um, through social media and look at what the world is doing. But there are literally thousands and thousands of people that are telling you right now that they guarantee that this, this, and this is going to happen because they had a dream. There are literally thousands and thousands of people doing that. And I'm not saying God does not speak in dreams because I do believe that God... How can you read scripture and not believe that God doesn't speak in dreams at times? But it says, look, relying on their dreams, not only, not only potentially their dreams they sleep with, but their dreams. What do I want out of life? What am I willing to do to get it? And through that process, whether it's because they've been inspired by God through a dream or because they're chasing their own dreams, they defile the flesh and they reject authority and they blaspheme the glorious ones. That's, that's what they do. Michael shows you what you're supposed to do in this moment. You've got to contend. You can't sit back. You can't just get run over. You can't just let the world have its way. That's not what we're here to do. We're not here to come in here and hide in here and at least find our little support system and never do anything out there. Just keep them out there. We'll stay in here. Everything will be fine. That's not church. That's not God's vision for the church. That's not what God willed us to do. That's not who God willed us to be. That's not who we are. Judgment belongs to God. 100%. 100%. Yeah. If I say stealing is a sin, am I making a judgment? 
sense or teaching what God taught. Right. God's making the judgment, not me. We're contending for the faith. We didn't write it. Yeah, we didn't die for it. It's not, it's not our church. We're not the head. That's not what I'm saying. Oh. Well, I, I don't think I'm... So for the record, I don't think I'm contending for the faith to tell people they're wrong. I'm contending for the faith to spread what is right. And there's a big difference there. If you go into the situation and your, your goal is, you know what? I'm going to prove this person wrong. I'm going to tear them up. I'm going to show them something new. And you go in with that attitude, you're going, you, you might be right, but you're going to miss the boat. I'm, I'm, I don't use, the, the Bible is our sword. I will it to protect, not to destroy. Right? I think that's really important. But that doesn't mean don't wield it at all. That don't, doesn't mean to leave it sheathed and, and never pull it out. To let people think what they're going to think. And, you know, I just feel like the church has been lulled to sleep with the idea that it's only going to get worse. And the best thing we can do is sit in here and hope some people come to us one day. And, you know, we'll just protect what we got at least. I think that's part of why we see what we're seeing in the world. Because we're not being the light that we should be. And that's not just your generation. That's not just my generation. That's generations before us that slowly let this stuff creep in. And now you have to be careful what you say. That's pretty, like I said, pretty easy in Scripture because even in here, even in here, not on, not on interpretations of prophecy, I can be wrong. That's why I told Doug to remind everybody that I can be wrong. I don't know. I can be wrong on my interpretations of prophecy and so can you. But the easy black and white of Scripture, that's different. But at the end, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I'm not here to take you out. I'm here to help you out. And that is contending for the faith. That's also what makes us different, you know. What do you see in the world we live in right now? Speaking of the culture that we live in, what do you see right now? If we disagree, are we friends? Not really. But for a Christian, it's okay if you disagree. I still love you anyway. I'm trying to help you. It's different. The world's trying to destroy you. All right. Verse 10, but these people blaspheme all they do not understand. They don't understand it, but they still, still speak against it. They still speak out against it. They still lie about it. And they are destroyed by all that they like unreasoning animals understand instinctively. Ooh. See, that's the difference between you and your dog or your cat. Although sometimes your dog and your cat can fool you into think they might be reasonable beings. No, not mine either. Every time I catch him in the kitty litter box, I'm like, what are you doing? It's a girl, by the way, but I always call him a boy. My last dogs were boys. Um, yeah, and I see this also as something, again, that the culture is trying to feed. Since I was a child, our children, our children. Like all of a sudden, all you have to do is look at the animal kingdom and see how animals react. And therefore, if you can find this specific species of monkey that's doing really weird things in the corner with other monkeys, then that means it's acceptable for all the human beings too. Because, hey, it's just part of the genetic code. 
You know, an animal reacts on its instincts that God gave them. And doesn't have the same ability to reason that you do. Me and Tyler were throwing the football earlier today. And we were throwing it back and forth. And all of a sudden, I told him, all right, I'm done. i got to go back out and study. And so he threw the football at my dog. Now, I will tell you, my dog is extremely athletic, but he's not a wide, she's not a wide receiver. And so she looked at it, and before she could comprehend what's happening, it hit her on the head. And I said, Tyler, what are you doing? He thinks he's playing with it. You're not playing with her. If that were me and you threw it to me and said, think fast and you hit me, ha, ha, ha. But to a dog... She can't reason whether that was an accident or not. She can't reason whether you're playing with her or not. All she knows is you just hit her with a ball. That's what she knows. And of course, what did she do? She ran away and buried her tail. Why? Because she thought she was in trouble. Why else would she be getting hit with the ball? Not that I throw balls at her. You see what I'm saying? This is, this is the culture of the world. This is the way it wants to lull you asleep. It wants you to say, no, look, you're nothing more than just, you know, part of this grand scheme of, oh, let's call it this, Mother Earth. You know, they want you to think like you're an avatar. And you're just part of nature and everything you see in nature is really just part of you and, and you're not, you haven't been set apart. You have been set apart. You're different than everything else. You're not here to learn from everything else. God didn't make you to learn from everything else. He made you to have domain over everything else. He made you the ruler. I mean, think about it. If animals could reason the way we could, wouldn't they have already got together and tried to take us over? Wouldn't they? I mean, what would you do if you know, you're constantly encroaching on their land and, and shooting some of their children and eating them. What would you do? You would join together and you'd rally against that people, I can tell you that. They're not like us. I know it's silly, but the argument from the other side is just as silly. And we give it so much credit. So much credit. All right, let's go through this part real quick. Verse 11, we might have to stop. I thought I might be able to get through it all, but... Verse 11, woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain. Now we're getting all the way back to what? We're going pre-flood. See how old this stuff gets? This culture goes all the way back. What did that culture lead to? What did Cain's culture lead to? How about a flood? No. Didn't. Didn't. But you're going to get me off on a big tangent. What did Cain do? He killed his brother. Why? way of Cain. We know, it's, we know it's jealousy. We know it's murder. You know, a lot of people, when I was looking at this more specifically, there was a lot of people who said, 
you know, that um, Abel, because he brought the best of his flock. Like, it's always supposed to be an animal, and it should never be the, the vegetables that Cain brought. Is that what it was? He blew it. He was offering a strange sacrifice because... Yeah, of course. When does, the, when does the sacrifice of the lamb come into play? When do we see it in Scripture? Moses. Yeah, it's Moses. But where does it really start? It starts at Abraham. If you want to go all the way back to the earliest, it starts at Abraham. That's well after the flood. And Cain's before the flood, right? All right. So, let me read this part because we're going to go through these three real quick. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's er error and perished in Korah's rebellion. The first one I want you to see, and I, I tried to use only um, writers from the New Testament to do these, but um, nobody really talks about Korah's rebellion in Scripture too much outside of where it happened. So we'll go there in a minute too. 1 John 3, John says this, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain. He would have never been able to kill his brother if he loved him the way he should have, right? We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one. You see, it wasn't, it wasn't that Cain's sacrifice was wrong. I, can't, I look through the scripture, I can't... It was his attitude... Or, better yet, even, maybe it was the fact that what he was doing didn't match the way he lived. So you can bring the sacrifice to God, but if your life is not a sacrifice to God, what's the point of the sacrifice to God? You know, when we did Obadiah, that's exactly what the priests were saying about the sacrifice that they were having to make. Why are we doing this? What's the point? That's why instead of giving their best, they started giving the handicap, the the. the the, 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 the crippled ones, more specifically, the blemished ones. And they kept the good ones for themselves. What, what, what's the point? And it says, why did he murder them? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. That's why. Because he knew. Because he knew within his heart of hearts in that moment exactly why God was pleased with his brothers and not his and he didn't care. He didn't care enough to change and be more like Abel. Instead, he sought to kill him. Balaam's error, first, uh, 2 Peter chapter 2 says this, forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam. The son of Baor, who loved gain from wrongdoing. He was prophet for hire. And even though when he's asked to lie, he didn't lie, it's not because he didn't want to. He went there knowing that that's what he was going to be asked. He made the trip. He just knew whether he blessed or cursed Israel, God was already telling him he was going to bless it. So whether he said it or not, he was going to be the one that looked like the fool. He already knew. What about this one, though? This is Jesus. He's talking to the churches in Revelation. And he says this, I know where you dwell. 
where Satan's throne is. Yet you hold fast to my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. So he's commending them because they have held on to the faith despite where they are from, despite where they live, despite the culture that they literally live in that he is comparing to, if not literally saying, is the throne of Satan. He says, but I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teachings of Balaam who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols. And there it comes again. And practice sexual immorality. There it comes. The battle of our generation is the same battle that God's people have been fighting against from the beginning. Now it's not just specifically sexual immorality. It's the idea that you can be your own God and therefore you can do whatever you want and there's no consequences. And as long as it's not affecting me, then I should just keep my mouth shut, mind my own business and do my own thing. That's not what the love of God compels me to do. If heaven and hell are real, this is where we'll end for tonight. The worst thing that's ever going to happen to you is being condemned to hell. And the greatest thing that ever is going to happen to you, which, by the way, I said if I obviously believe they're real, The greatest thing that's ever going to happen to you is when you hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Contending for the faith doesn't have to be ugly. It can be loving. But we live in a time where we have to do it. What do you think? I don't know. It's a lot, isn't it? Go ahead, Doug. Times I've read through the New Testament, the message all the way up to here is, God's message is, I want you back. Yeah. Everywhere, everywhere, it's a whole message. But it gets to this point right here and it says, lest you forget, there's a hell. Yeah. It always hits me with that. Ball it, and that's what you're contending for. Because don't forget that's real too. Yeah. Cora's rebellion is really where I have to finish because I got to finish that scripture, right? Cora is related to the leader of the Levites. And the Levites have been given the priesthood. More specifically, Aaron, who's related to Moses is the high priest. Korah's contention, where he goes and rallies support among the Israelites, is that Moses essentially 
God didn't tell you to make Aaron high priest. You made him high priest because he's your relative. And he rallies the group against him. And Moses basically says to them, how dare you? How dare you? After everything you've seen, after everything we've went through, you're going to sit here and pretend like I'm making decisions on my own? Like I'm not just doing what I'm told? He says, all right, let's do this. Tomorrow, you guys stand over here, you stand over here, and we'll see what happens. Tells them to cover themselves in incense. Uh, everything I read says they, they probably came out with these um, giant plates of incense before the Lord. And they come out, and God's going to say, whose sacrifice is acceptable? Oh, kind of like who? Cain and Abel. And actually, before this happens, this is what God says. Before, not before they discuss this. This is what he says right before it happens. He says, and the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, separate yourselves from among this congregation that I, might, that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell on their faces and said, oh God, the God of spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin? And will you be angry with all the congregation? In other words, this one guy, Korah, he's led all these people into rebellion. You're going to condemn everybody because of what he did? And he says, you know what? Put the warning out. Let, them, let everybody know. Whatever you do, don't go near the leaders of the rebellion and their dwelling places. Now think about this. They're telling everybody that. So the people who are there, and what happens is, when the moment happens, those people who led the rebellion, the earth opens and swallows them. It eats them up. But they were told. Who else probably heard? How about the ones leading the rebellion? And they still come out the next day in the rebellion. And they face the consequences because of it. You see, this is probably the most important part, and this is a good place to stop for us with Jude, and we'll finish the rest next week, but this is probably the most important part, and it circles back all the way to those, the, that, the, that, that first verse. I think it's verse 2, verse 3, verse 1. I don't remember. Let me go back real quick. It all goes back to, yeah, verse 1. He's a keeper. He wants to keep you. Stay in his word. Stay faithful. Stay holy and set apart from this culture that the world is trying to shove down your throats. Trust in his word. Rely on his promises. You're surrounded by his love. He wants to keep you. Don't be fooled. Satan is crafty and deceitful. And he wants to lead you astray. Okay? Okay. Anything? Anybody want to say anything? Huh? Okay. We'll finish the rest next week. Thanks for coming to class.